0: Welcome back to SwitchCast. We are live. This is a special pre-recorded Christmas edition of SwitchCast. And tonight we're going to look back five or six years in the SwitchCars history. So about six years ago, my friend Doug Huffnagel, who is, if you recognize the last name, he's the father of our uh, podcast producer, Ethan, he was piloting a show, what was the name of the show? Entrepreneurs in America. Entrepreneurs in America. And he was going around to small businesses, filming them, trying to see how they got their start, what their businesses were, and I was the guinea pig for this pilot episode. It was fun, it was awkward on many levels. I think both of us have gotten a a bit more comfortable behind a microphone and in front of a camera since then. And it was fun to look back. He gave me the recording. It never aired, but he gave me the recording a few months ago and I got to watch it. And it was a good learning experience for me because in business, although I didn't go to business school, I have learned a lot of things from the School of Hard Knocks and from other people and mentors, and it's important to have a plan. If you just fly by the seat of your pants, it may work. You may be able to overcome that with uh, hard work and natural intelligence and things like that. But typically, it's good to have a plan, to have a written and detailed plan, but also knowing that that has to be flexible and things don't always go that way. Probably every year or so, I reevaluate what I'm doing, what my plans are, what my goals are, Um, kind of the, I make a a flow chart and say, well, if this, then this, and this is an option here. And if this goes this way or this person comes on board, then we can go this direction in the business. And um, so it was cool to look back at the five-year mark and actually listen to the five-year goals that you had asked me about to see how they matched up. So instead of me having a guest tonight and interviewing them and answering your questions, tonight we're going to answer your questions that you didn't ask. And I'm gonna be the guest, the, the guinea pig, so to speak. And we're gonna take a look back at the grainy, somewhat awkward video of you and I talking about business and see where we've come in five years. So we're gonna to cut to the video and we'll see you back here in a little bit. Have you ever driven down a road in your hometown? seen a warehouse, factory, or an office building and wondered who started that business? Well, we have, and this is Entrepreneurs in America.
1: This is a 1987 Ferrari 328. Unfortunately, it's not my car. I'm driving it because we're in Twinsburg to talk to Doug Tabbitt, owner of Switch Cars.
0: Doug. Hey, Doug, what's happening? good to see you. You too.
1: Thanks so much for letting us come in, disrupt your day. Yeah. I I know you're busy. My day is an endless series of disruptions anyway, so. I'm sure of that, but that's the life of an entrepreneur, right? Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about switch cars? Tell me, give me the elevator pitch of what
0: you do here. In a nutshell, we switch cars. The name kind of speaks for itself, but we buy cars, we sell cars, we trade them, consign them, broker them, find them for people, things like that, so. Um, Any car? No, not just any car. Just the fun cars? Just the fun cars. Okay. Why don't I take you for a tour and you'll get an idea of what we do. That sounds perfect. Thank you.
1: So this is switch cars, huh? Yeah. I see you have a lot of Porsche. Yes. Um, I see you
0: learned how to pronounce it (laughs) properly. (laughs) you want to kind of take us through and tell us what you got a little bit about each one well this is a kind of an odd duck for our uh, shop but it is a 75 mercedes 450 and it came from italy and it has 23,000 original miles from 1975 and i've got a stack of documentation about this high on the car the guy originally imported it in 85 and he's owned it since then we like buying anything nice, you know? It's, it's out of our normal wheelhouse, but with the, the documentation and the original condition, I couldn't say no. Does it being from Italy um, add to its value, or obviously to In its- In some way, yes, because it's a European model, so it has an optional back seat, which the US models didn't have, um, and just subtle differences like bumpers and things like that. Typically, the Euro models of anything, are a little bit more sleek looking Mm -hmm. because especially back in the 70s and 80s when they imported cars, they had these big fat bumpers they had to put on them and more restrictive emissions and things like that. So you know, if you've seen the movie Rain Man, Mm -hmm. when they import those Lamborghinis, they have to do all this stuff to them that makes them worse cars. So now when you look back at 70s and 80s cars, the Euro models are the ones to have. This guy. (laughs) 87 Ferrari 328. Um, I think this is the third time we've had this car. Mm -hmm. Bought it, sold it, got it back in on trade, sold again, got it back in on trade. Um, This car has 40,000 miles, which is, in Ferrari world, high mileage. It is what it is. Yeah.
1: Now, is that true for all Ferraris or all high-end cars? If you're over 30,000, 40,000 miles, you're kind of
0: getting... More so for Italian cars. Porsches and BMWs and things like that, people actually drive, mm-hmm. um, but people are scared of the maintenance on Ferraris and you know, it's kind of this thing like, oh, they fall apart past 20,000 miles, which it's ridiculous. It's all perception. The, the more you drive them actually, the the better cars they are because you get the issues sorted out and the motors are really meant to be used and it's bad for cars to sit.
1: Have you ever dealt with Lamborghini? Mm-hmm. Um, is that the same kind of thing, maintenance wise? Yep. Very, very high maintenance, very finicky. Do you shy away from Ferraris and and, and Lamborghinis because of that, or no, if a client
0: wants one, you? you... If a client wants one, for the most part, I'll get it for them. I will make my recommendation. Mm -hmm. I have a very good client. He came to me, he started with this Ferrari at my recommendation, then he went to a 355, and then I actually sold him the R8 that's over there. But he, he wants a Lamborghini. He goes, I gotta get a Lamborghini out of my system. And I'm like, you know what? Instead, you could just take 10 grand and have a bonfire and get that out of your system. I won't let them buy one. I don't think they're very good cars. I I like the older Lamborghinis, Mm -hmm. but some of the newer ones, and I won't make a lot of friends with this statement, but I just, I don't think they're good cars. I've driven a lot of them and there's a reason we don't have any here. Yeah,
1: Uh, now I think we're getting to your
0: wheelhouse. Yes, Which Porsche. (laughs) Which is a Porsche. Yeah, I love Porsches, I really do. I I jokingly say that the more I drive Ferraris, the more I like Porsches. Ferraris are an experience for sure. And you have all the the soul and the passion and all these Italian swear words that (laughs) that describe Ferraris, but Porsche is just a better built car. Mm -hmm. It's a car you can drive every day. You can take it to the track. You can take it to the grocery store. They're very reliable. They're well built. They're tight cars, they have good fit and finish, they age well, everything like that that Italian cars don't do. And for that matter, British cars don't either. Can you quickly give us a little bit about each one? Sure, yeah, this is a a standard 911 Carrera. It's the S package, which is a little more horsepower. And this has the factory aero kit, which oddly enough is a very rare option. It has a different front bumper and a different rear spoiler, but they're extremely rare and quite valuable compared to the the normal car. Mm -hmm. This is a twin turbo 911, so you're talking about 480 horsepower. And this one also has the factory aero kit, which is very rare on a turbo. And original owner car, 9,000 miles, it's a really nice example. This one is a special, kind of an oddball car. It's a 968, which is the front engined four cylinder. So it was never Porsche's high performance model, but this particular car was a special ordered amethyst metallic color. And it was ordered by a collector who went to the factory to spec it out to see it being built. He was a Concord judge, so he has over 2,000 hours himself detailing this car. It's 23 years old, and it has 8,000 miles on it.
1: So for us colorblind guys, can, can, can you tell me what color an amethyst
0: is? It's a, a dark burgundy, we'll say, because I don't want to say purple. <laughs> <laughs> but it is purple. It is. It, okay. Yep. okay. Oh, and then this guy. This is my favorite Audi. It's the R8, mid-engined. V8 uh, pseudo supercar built to compete with Porsche 911 and Ferrari and things like that. And they did a very good job. It's a great car to drive. And then we have two more Porsches back there. Which, yep. So that, 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 that's, that's your wheelhouse. You, yep. You... And I've got more Porsches in storage next door and outside as you saw and all yeah. that. So we're all about Porsches. But again, you will deal with
1: any- Anything good. Anything. One thing I found when, when I came through here, a couple of weeks ago, um, you had a really, really neat car that, that we shot some footage of, yep. and that was a Ford GT. A Ford GT, so we're going we're gonna to show a little bit of that footage right now, and then we'll sit, actually take some time sit down and talk to you and get to know you, Cool. so we'll do that right now.
0: is a 2006 ford gt it was a tribute to the original ford gt40 racing car and it uh it has 2.7 original miles on it 2.7 2.7 so it was Whoa. never <laughs> test driven at the factory never driven by the new owner basically delivered with those miles
1: wow and obviously this was a pretty pricey car i imagine yes when, when it was in the showroom.
0: Yes, as equipped, this one was $166,945.
1: i am guessing the price has gone up a little bit these days. It's
0: worth about double that right now. Double that. Yep.
1: Uh, I don't imagine you're going to be driving it anytime soon.
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's, but you have driven models like this.
0: Yes, yeah, I've driven other GTs. I've actually, interestingly enough, driven the highest mileage for GT in existence. So I have the lowest mileage one here and I've driven the highest mileage one. How many miles run the highest It had about 81,000 miles when I drove it. No kidding?
1: Wow. So Doug, um, we're here outside of Cleveland and we're sitting in the middle of all these beautiful cars and I wanna get to know you. I wanna get to know Doug, the entrepreneur. Um, That's what we're about. And can you tell me a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. (laughs) I grew up in Maine lived there for 18 years, moved out to Cleveland for college, went to Case Western Reserve, and that didn't last too long. <laughs> so dropped out of college, went into business with a friend I met from college. About how long was college? About 6 months. In what year? 2003. Yep. And that business didn't last too long either. <laughs> um So then I went to work at a a car dealership to get my feet back on the ground. What, if if you don't mind me asking, what,
1: uh, was that a a similar kind of car business?
0: Um, No, it was a a motorcycle parts business online.
1: And how did that fare? What?
0: (laughs) Expensively, (laughs) it was uh, was a second education for me.
1: Uh, I'm guessing by your answer, that didn't end too well.
0: That's correct, yeah. Uh, Myself and the other guy parted ways and I uh, didn't do too well.
1: That business ends
0: after about six months,
1: and then you start working at a Land Rover dealership. Mm -hmm. And how did that go?
0: Well, for about six months. (laughs) I I actually did very well at that, but the politics and the drama of working at a dealership really got to me. Um, I thought that buying a car, especially a Land Rover, should be a fun experience or at least enjoyable and not painful. And I wasn't always able to do that. It was stressful both for me and the buyer a lot of times. So I wanted to do things my own way because I like cars and buying a car should be fun. So
1: So then that doesn't work. And is that
0: when you form Switch Cars?
1: Yep. Had, had the idea of Switch Cars been percolating for some time, or had it just been, you know what, I don't work at Land Rover anymore, I gotta do something, or?
0: I don't think it was percolating for very long. I think it just kind of, while I was working there, I said, you know, I I can do this on my own. There's, There's gotta be a better way. So it was partly necessity of, you know, I, I need a job, I need to make money, but I wanna sell cars on my own, so have to make this work
1: and a former land rover your first deal was a land rover with switch cars wasn't it yes and it was a former land rover client yep who called and said can you get me this you said yes you got it for him yep and i guess you're like i could do this i could do this fairly well
0: (laughs) yeah kind of i am an entrepreneur that's not a it's not a title Mm -hmm. you know business person or businessman or ceo is a title entrepreneur is a description of somebody's nature. And I have that in my blood. So I, I didn't want to work for somebody else. Um, I didn't like the drama and the politics that come along with working at a car dealership. Um, and the biggest thing was that I was selling Land Rovers. Mm-hmm. And I love Land Rovers. They're cool cars. You don't buy a Land Rover because it's a good car or reliable or anything like that. You buy it because it's a Land Rover. And I wanted to make it fun for my customers. I thought the process should be enjoyable and the procedures and all that that go along with working in a dealership take the fun out of it. And I said, there's gotta be a better way to do this. You know, purchasing a fun car should be a good experience because I'm a car guy and- And they're fun. Yeah. So you
1: start Switch Cars? Mm Mm-hmm. In debt, I'm I'm assuming the first business left you in debt.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you're in debt. Twenty years old, in debt, I had four thousand dollars in my bank account. I spent a thousand dollars on a website. I spent a thousand dollars on miscellaneous other things, marketing, stuff like that, a computer, and then left a thousand dollars in my account to pay for next month 's rent and I said, "Okay, here goes <laughs> wow
1: that's an entrepreneur, yeah so Do you, do you supplement switch cars with something else or did I
0: at the time at the time? No, I, I went for about a month and I didn't think I was going to make it. So I went back and worked at a Toyota dealership for three weeks. I think I sold 12 cars there in three weeks and quit after three weeks. And I'm like, I'm just like, it's, it's do or die. I've, I've got to put everything into switch cars and make it work or not.
1: I'm assuming then business builds slowly, Mm -hmm. rapidly. How how does business build for switch cars?
0: The, The first few months it built pretty quickly because I was still dealing with a lot of Land Rovers. So the new Range Rover had just come out. I hit on a good marketing scheme, which was advertising to people on the West Coast in high demand markets and then sourcing new cars from low demand markets in the Midwest. So I was gaining clientele fairly rapidly, brokering new cars, getting a lot of referrals that way. So I had some good momentum right out of the gate.
1: Was it a planned, that, that was your strategy? It wasn't just something you happened into, but it was Doug's strategy to, let's, let's deal with Lamborghini. Sure.
0: Land <laughs> <laughs> just Necessity is the mother of invention. Absolutely. I mean, you, you find what works. And you find a market, and when you hit upon a good market, you roll with it.
1: So three weeks, you you, you quit the uh, you quit the Toyota dealership. The first car you sell is a Land Rover with Switch cars. Yep. And word of mouth is spreading. Is that? Yep. People are people are finding out about Switch cars. Yep. At what point do you say I need a building? Because I'm I'm assuming at this point you're still online. You're, yep.
0: You know. Yep. It. Uh, switch cars took a lot of iterations to get me where I am here. Um, part of it was adapting to the market. Part of it was just figuring out what the heck I'm doing. And most of it was online and brokering for probably the first four years. I did buy and sell some cars here and there. Uh, but I didn't have the capital to really buy a ton of cars and to get a building, nor did I see a need for it. I was doing just fine, just working out of my home office and and finding people the cars they needed. And you told me a story um, about you being on a
1: Ferrari forum and somebody, a client complaining about a Ferrari (laughs) salesman being some 20 year old kid.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it was actually my client. He, he He had found me on the Ferrari forum And emailed me and said, hey, I really appreciate your input and you're really knowledgeable. Could you help me find such and such car? And I said, sure. So I sourced him a Maserati at a dealership in New York. And he flew up to to take delivery of it, drove it home, wrote me this nice email thanking me. And he had some editorial comment about the you know young 20 year old kid that was a salesman he wasn't that impressed and if he had known he was dealing with a 20 year old kid he wouldn't have done it or something like that Mm -hmm. and in the back of my mind i'm going well if you only knew you know i'm a 20 year old kid working out of my bedroom but (laughs) i just sold you a maserati but it really taught me that it was not about my age but it was about what I knew how I conducted myself and that that got me to where I am
1: well uh, one one thing I've been curious about I, I see obviously there's a lot of Porsches mm-hmm. here in stock uh, obviously one of your favorite cars growing up I'm sure you knew all about cars as a mm-hmm. kid most kids like that'll have a car on your wall yeah can you tell me what kinda of car you had on your wall on a poster
0: I can't because (laughs) my wall was covered wall to wall, floor to ceiling with car posters. Every single wall, there was not a gap. I had an engineer's mentality about putting all these posters and calendars up Mm -hmm. and there wasn't a space of white on my wall as a kid. (laughs)
1: Did you have any Ferraris on your wall? Oh yeah. yeah okay. So I guess what I'm trying to, trying to figure out is you're a 20 year old college dropout and you're in debt. And kind of tell me how switch cars worked back then because I'm, I'm thinking 20 year old kid, his first deal is a Land Rover. How does a 20 year old kid in debt, thousands of dollars in debt, buy a Land Rover for the for the for his client.
0: Sure. Well, at that point, I acted specifically as a broker or a, a finder. So I would locate a car somebody needed. Most of the time, a new car, and charge a finder's fee of some sort. So I wasn't fronting the money. I was just collecting a pre-negotiated service fee. And customers really liked that. Mm-hmm. I was doing a good job. I was getting them what they needed.
1: So then you say about four years, then you decide I'm getting bigger than, than what mm-hmm. I can handle from my bedroom. Is this your first location? Is this your only location?
0: This is my second official location. I got stars in my eyes as I started to grow and, and buy and sell some cars. And I had this idea that I wanted to be around a racetrack or a test track of some sort. So I had this grand idea that I'd have my own test track and have garages and a place for car guys to hang out and this whole lifestyle experience that was beyond just buying a car. And it was a great idea. And what I ended up doing was teaming up with a racetrack facility that already had 90% of that except for the car dealer. So they built a building for me. This was out in Las Vegas. And like I said, I, I had stars in my eyes a little bit because it was probably a lot more than I could handle at the time. It was a good idea. Um, it was a little bit of bad timing, a little bit of just taking on more than I was ready for. And again, that's the entrepreneurial spirit at work. You, you gotta try. Absolutely. Um, so I was out there for a couple years. It, again, was a good learning experience and it did end up helping my business grow quite a bit and I still have a lot of clients from that, but it just didn't work out exactly as planned, so I came back to Ohio. I always had roots here in Ohio, still had a a small shop here and decided to just take what I knew about the business and buying and selling cars And instead of having some grand plan of a racetrack or this and that, or some fancy business model, I wanted to just buy and sell cars, do it well, learn how to really get a handle on the business. Um, And part of what I learned during that time too, which was really important, was there was a time of transition for me about 2010 when I got out of Vegas. And I think before then, I was a workaholic. And my business was truly an idol to me. It was everything. I was willing to sacrifice just about everything for the business. And um, I wanted to learn how to run a business to the glory of God and using biblical principles and really just run a business well, but not have it own me. And since then, the business has gotten much more healthy it's run much, much more efficiently, and I enjoy it way more than I ever have. Has
1: your, over the last 10 years, 11 years, has your clientele changed? I'm sure as a 20-year-old kid, you have, you know, you're, you're chasing the deals. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you, you, gotta, you gotta, everybody that calls you, everybody that emails you, you gotta do something for them and, and, mm-hmm. and find them a car. You have 10 years of switch cars behind you, I'm sure that you don't need to do that now. How, how, has, how has that changed? How have your clients changed?
0: Right, good question. There was a definite shift on my part fairly early on because my original model was, we'll find you a deal. So I'm trying to find them the best deal possible. And while I do want customers to get a good deal, I realize that putting price as, as the first and most important thing was earning me the cheapest clients on the planet. And not only would they nickel and dime the deal, they'd nickel and dime me. And I needed to make money. And part of having a healthy business is not only getting your clients what they want, but also building some good margins in for myself. So in that sense, the business model changed. And that did change some of my clients, but I still have, most of my clients from when I started 10 years ago are still clients now and they still refer people to me. So my good clients are still around. I still give them value. I may have changed slightly how I do things, but I still find cars for them. I still sell cars for them and they've stuck with me along the way. One
1: thing I found interesting is, is we came in here to set up everything. Um, you actually had a, a client pull up, who's not a client, this was just a guy who knew about you. Yep. He pulls up in his Porsche and he says, do you want to buy this? I mean, <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. Does that happen a lot? How often does somebody just knock on your door and say, hey, I have this great car, are you sure. interested?
0: Fairly often. And it's sometimes it's knocking on my physical door. A lot of times it's just an email or a phone call. People find me online and they say, I need to sell this car. What will you give me for it and that's how we source most of our cars a lot of guys go to auctions or brokers or things like that most of our most of our business comes from the customer itself the owner of the car calls us and says i'd like to sell this are you interested
1: i'm guessing that within the 10 years you've been in business uh, unfortunately you've probably had some deals you wish hadn't happened. Have you ever been stuck with a car? Have you, has has somebody ever, you know, come to you and said, Hey, I need this car. You go out, you buy it or you source it, or you use your connections. And have you ever been stuck with a car?
0: Yes, for sure. And that's part of the reason I buy a lot more of my own inventory now, because on a weekly basis, people will say, Hey, I want, this car and my budget's 50 grand and I'll only take red and it has to be a manual and it has to be a 1997 through 99. And so I go and find them one and a week later they say, oh, I bought a green BMW and spent 75 grand. (sighs) So (laughs) that's par for the course.
1: How did you take your passion for automobiles and turn that into a business? As far as how did you teach yourself How to run a business
0: my dad was always in some sort of business growing up either managing a cottage resort or doing his own business of some sort so i saw a lot of that growing up and i had my own businesses growing up as well from as a kid having a present wrapping business at christmas time competing with my sister driving prices (laughs) down Or when I was 13, I wanted to get a job and legally couldn't get hired, so I started a leaf raking business. So there's always that in me. Um, My parents taught me good money management skills, and the rest of it was just learn as you go. Some of it is just a natural affinity, a knack for the business side of things. And some experience I got from the first business with with the partner, and that taught me a lot of things to do and a lot of things not to do. Mm-hmm. The most frequent question I get asked, and you ask this in, in some manner, is how did you get into this? You know, whenever I meet somebody, well, how did you get into that? And my smart alec off the cuff answer is, Well, nothing else worked. Which is true in a <laughs> sense. College didn't work, working in a dealership didn't work. You know, that's my standard short answer when I want to brush somebody off. But when I really think about it, everybody has a childhood dream and usually it's to be something cool like a fireman or a doctor or a policeman or something like that. I think I'm probably the only kid in the world that actually dreamed of being a car salesman.
1: The totality of switch cars as it is now, you, you still source some, you mm-hmm. still have physical inventory that mm-hmm. you buy. W- what else goes along with that? What, what, what does switch cars do for your clients?
0: Sure. We do detailing, we do storage, we do appraisals and title work and all sorts of things like that. We do a lot of transporting for them as well. So that's a good supplement to the business and that area of the business has been growing quite a bit as well.
1: You also mentioned something about like a consultant service Mm -hmm. where, where you actually will go out for a client and uh, maybe not even a location where the client's at, where a car, if, if a client's in, you know, in New York and, and a car's in Idaho, you will fly out to Idaho and kind of give uh, an evaluation for the client yep. of the car.
0: Yep. Um, do you do a lot of that? I don't do a lot of it, but that's something that I've been doing more of lately. Typically that only happens within a certain niche of cars. So while I know cars very well, for example, a BMW M3, I can look at and say, yeah, that looks like a nice car it isn't, but I don't know all the nuances of what to look for. But a Porsche GT3, for example, I'm considered an expert on that car. So I actually have a database of every single car produced for North America. I have history on most of those cars and I know exactly what to look for because I've probably bought and sold myself over a hundred of them. And there was only you know, 600 or so produced for North America, depending on which variant and which generation. So I've, I've had my hands in a large percentage of them and I know them like the back of my hand.
1: So given the right car, you will, that is part of your service, is to is to go out and be act as a consultant. Yep. Um, how do you see switch cars evolving?
0: More of the same. So no grand plans, but just to take what I'm doing and gradually build and expand on it. I want to take the storage business and make it into a self-sustaining business, along with some of the other things like detailing that we do. Um, we're posed to get a bigger facility at the moment. We're searching for a building because as you can see, we're out of space here. It's packed. Yeah. Yep. So that's the next step is to get a much bigger facility that will allow us to expand the way we need to.
1: So as an entrepreneur, I I know that you probably have a bunch of things percolating in your mind, Um, whether they, whether they, have to do with switch cars or not probably some do probably some don't um, do you care to share anything first of all do you do, do you have always always something going on multiple things going on always would you care to share you know just uh, something something about maybe what what you would like to see happen in the future for Doug as the entrepreneur
0: I think the next actual business I'm going to do and Like you said, I've got stuff percolating. I write business plans for ideas all the time, just kind of for fun. And most of them are superfluous. They can't actually be monetized or put into real practice. But the next one I anticipate doing has very big legitimate potential. And it has to do with transporting cars and the way you book things and everything like that, because that industry is very backwards. I mean, we transport cars all the time, we do it as a service for our customers and it's fairly cumbersome. So that would be a, a software-based business uh, fairly cumbersome project, but that's that's my next goal.
1: That's interesting. That, I'm, I'm sure that has grown out of switch cars and how, how you've had to deal with sure. transportation of, of vehicles and
0: well, I see a problem. And it's the same problem everyone else sees. I just see a solution for it. There is a solution, and that's the difference between an entrepreneur and anybody else. Is we just we always see fixes, mm-hmm. you know, instead of complaining about something, we go, "Ooh, <laughs> how could we? How could we make this better?" Mm-hmm. And that's always on my mind.
1: Do you have any advice? And this, this would be general, not, not necessarily pertaining to, to cars, but any advice to, to an entrepreneur, a would-be entrepreneur? What, what, what is it, you know, one or two things that, that you have found necessary sure. to succeed or, or, or you know, to, to, to take your passion and to, to go ahead and run with it?
0: I think of probably three things. The first one is read Proverbs. Even if you're not a Christian, Proverbs has some of the best advice for how to manage money and how to run a business on the planet. The second would be to not get stars in your eyes. A lot of people want to be an entrepreneur because they want to be rich. And that's the wrong reason. Because if you're doing it for that motivation, you're going to go after the quick riches and you're probably not going to make anything the the best way to do it is to work hard to set a goal and you can make money in almost any industry there's no specific industry just find something you know well and do it well and do it honestly and work hard and you'll probably get somewhere if there's any money to be made in the industry. And the third one is to make your word as gold. Um, One of my good clients and very good friend, and I see him as a personal mentor, um, told me that one of the, the biggest lessons he learned in business was that you don't give your word to somebody until you count the cost. So when you make a deal or you agree to do something, you know exactly what you're signing up for. So you don't give your word easily and you don't give it cheaply, but when you do say that I will do something, you do it. You don't need a contract, you don't need a handshake, Just you do what you say you're gonna do. And the biggest lesson for me with that was the first part, is sometimes it's easy to give my word. Oh yeah, I'll do that for you, I'll do that, sure. I'll mm-hmm. make sure the car's there in two weeks. And that made me really consider what's the cost behind what I'm promising to do. And to, to really consider that to make sure people know that when I say I'll do something, I'll do it.
1: That's great, that, that's really good um so how, how um how can people get a hold of you if, if someone wants to buy a ferrari
0: yep <laughs> switch cars there's a reason we have a easy to remember name so you know you can go to switchcars.com that's the best way to find us and obviously you can email us call us all our info is on our website
1: great great one final question um and i'm, I'm curious about this because i don't know uh, you have all these cars. What does Doug drive?
0: <laughs> well, my collection has been expanding a little bit over the past year. My favorite car is a Lingenfelter Corvette that I have, and that's a, a great car to drive. I also bought... What year is it? It's a 98. 98. I'm, I'm a little bit of a muscle car guy at heart. I like the sound and all that. Uh, but I do love Porsches as well. And I also have an older air-cooled Porsche 911, and I just bought a 66 Mustang Fastback.
1: So then out of curiosity, um, out of the cars you own here, Mm -hmm. is there ever a time when, obviously not a client's car, but is is there ever a time when you will see a yellow Porsche and just say, you know what, I feel like driving a yellow (laughs) Porsche today, and go ahead and take it home or,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I try to drive everything I have in here, not only because I want to, but because I need to familiarize myself with the car I'm selling. It's a real easy way to know how good the car is, because if somebody says, hey, is there any tire noise? Is there any, How does it drive? Is it smooth? Is it solid? Are there any squeaks? you know, five minute drive will tell me that and I know the product I'm selling. So I can tell people how the clutch feels, how it shifts, things like that. And also if there's any potential issues with the car that might not come up in a mechanical inspection, I'll vet those out by driving the car. So if I hear funny noise, I can then say, okay, we need to get this checked out to make sure that the car is right before it leaves. Great, great.
1: Well, Doug, thanks so much. I, sure. I, I know we've taken up a lot of your time, but it, this, this was so much fun. I, I'm I, a car I,
0: salesman. My time isn't <laughs> worth anything.
1: <laughs> I, I know that's not true. Uh, so thank you so much. Sure. Thanks, Doug. Take care. All right, Doug, what do you got for me? <laughs> All right. So thanks for inviting me back. Um, this was really cool to be here with you sip in the Switch Car Studio. Um,
0: it's a little step up from the last video, it's, right? It's a big step up of <laughs> uh, six
1: and a half years. Yeah. It, this, is, this is a big step up. And yeah.
0: It, it's really cool to see.
1: Um, and I, I think the place I'd like to start is when we, you know, six and a half years ago when we did this, it was about not necessarily the business, but you as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what makes you tick? What makes all entrepreneurs tick? So I, I guess the first question is, as an entrepreneur, are you happy with where Switch Cars is now?
0: And, and it's it's what, um, 16 years in altogether? Yes, yes. 16 years in from, I, I mean, I guess the major stages would be uh, one year in, I was in my apartment bedroom with a computer. Uh, five years in, I had opened the destination dealership in Vegas, which didn't end up working out. Um 10 years in, I finally found a, a place in Ohio and kind of settled and, and got my bearings and kind of got the business to a point I wanted to be. And uh, shortly after that, I guess, is when you interviewed mm-hmm. me, right about the 10-year mark. And we were renting a small warehouse there. It's good for the budget, but we were bursting at the seams. Jam-packed. And then shortly after that, we bought this building. And yeah, I'm happy where it is. It's it's tough. Comparison is always a killer, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to do it with your children, you don't want to do it with yourself. And I look at where a lot of my competitors are and it's tough not to be jealous in some aspects. Uh the the glitzy showrooms they have and and the big operations, but I know a lot of them have bank obligations, investor obligations. Some of them may not sleep as well at night, mm-hmm. and we're very financially stable. I'm not leveraged, I don't have investors, I don't have partners, and I'm happy with the rate of growth that we've had given how conservative and careful we've been, mm-hmm. and I sleep very well at night. <laughs> and uh,
1: No, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah
0: so I, in some senses, yes, I, 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 I guess I, I, I always look at where I could be, but I have to look at both sides of things in terms of not comparing myself to people who are less successful and say oh i'm better than them because that's not a good way to do it either everybody's at a different point in their journey but just to look at how i do things and am i happy with how i do things and where i'm at as a result of that And, and i think the answer is definitely yes yeah
1: that's awesome and and as we as i went back and watched the original interview six and a half years ago one of the things that that stuck out to me was the integrity with which you wanted to move forward with mm-hmm. switch cars. You, one of the things you said was one of the most important things was that you make your word gold, you do what you mm-hmm. say you're going to do. Um, and I think that gets back to you want to yeah. be able to sleep at night, which which is huge. Yeah. I mean, because there's a and whole th- lot of ways I'll to stop you there, too.
0: Like, that's been hard for me to learn. Um, I had. A business partner, before I got into the car business, I told this story on VinWiki about a business partner who screwed me over in the motorcycle business, but he did more than that. Is I was very young and impressionable, and I learned how to, not how to lie, but how to exaggerate mm-hmm. in order to further a deal or further the business or get what I wanted. And it took a long time to psychologically unwind myself from that. Absolutely. And I found... Even along the way, even around the time of the interview, little things where I'd, you know, as small as, okay, I'm middling a deal. I have a customer who wants a car. They've given a commitment for the car, or I think they're going to, so I'll give the commitment on their behalf. But, you know, the commitment really isn't there, but I want to hold the deal together. Sure. And I got caught a couple of times in doing that. And, you know, it wasn't a lie. It wasn't necessarily acting without integrity because, I mean, I guess it was, but those are, the excuse was that's what happens all the time in the car business. And I was doing it in a less egregious manner than others, but it caught up to me with a couple people and I had to learn that lesson again and, and kind of remind myself that I still have traces of that tendency to exaggerate just slightly mm-hmm. in order to get a deal done and I had to kind of relearn and say, you know, if I'm going to say that my word is gold, it has to be that no matter the cost. And you know, that that's been a tough lesson to learn because since then I've had to actually buy a couple cars that I gave a commitment based on my customer's commitment, they went back on their word and I said, you know what? I'm not going to be that guy again. I learned that lesson, I'm gonna buy the car regardless of what it costs me. Yeah. So it's been a tough lesson to learn. It hasn't always been perfect, Mm -hmm. but you know, I I want to be that person who says if if I say something, I'm going to do that. And you can take it to the bank.
1: You know, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. There's an expectation that we will conduct ourselves with integrity Mm -hmm. and in a you know in a forthright manner. It's just something that Emanates from us. We, you know, we're hopefully, hopefully, our word is our bond, um, and we, as you said, we want to um, be able to sleep at night and put our head on the pillow, and and
0: be able to sleep. Yeah. One of the tough things about that too is that many people who, I guess, say that they're Christians will put that forward in order to gain respect mm-hmm. or trust with somebody. Falsely, maybe they have good intentions, but I've found, and other people have echoed this as well, that some of the most difficult people to do business with at all are people that advertise that they're Christians. And I have that. So heard I've it, been yeah. trying to walk that line of, I want to honor God by how I do business, and I want to, uh, I guess, share God's love, but I also don't want to do it in a way that people think I'm using that in order to gain trust in a commercialized way, you right. know, trying yeah. To, yeah. to use God's name in order to get myself business or prosperity, you know, like putting in, in God we trust on our license plate frames or, you know, something like that that I think is kind of cheesy. So that's a tough line to walk as well. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned also, you said that uh, Aaron
1: would hold your feet to the fire, you know, if, if she, you know, found you doing anything less than honorable. So, and it's interesting. And the reason I bring that up is because last time we talked six and a half years ago, you were not married. Right. So uh, I'm wondering as a businessman, mm-hmm. how does, you know, single Doug six and a half years ago, he operated switch cars one way, married Doug. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure maybe, maybe I'm sure Mary Doug operates business. Well, you, you, you tell me.
0: Yeah, okay. So there's the old saying that I have totally stolen. All of my good sayings I've stolen from other people. All my good jokes I came up with myself. Some may argue whether or not they're good. but um,
1: Wait, we, the, we, And the, we don't even have the drum here. For no, you. we
0: don't. We don't. Uh, I, I say, I've, I've been waiting for the opportunity to say that Aaron doubles my joys, halves my sorrows, and triples my expenses. But it's really, it's really not true. I'm the spender in the, <laughs> the, in the relationship. But Dave Ramsey, who I respect, is, is highly successful. He says many amazing things about his wife. And he says that she has made him more successful and wealthier. She's not involved in the business. She's just his uh, better half, to use a cliche, the, the sounding board, the words of wisdom I think as male entrepreneurs, we get headstrong. We get you know, myopic. Yeah, yeah. Our, our testosterone gets in the way, our pride. And she, in addition to helping me in administrative roles and, and day-to-day stuff, which I'm not good at, she offers a perspective and voice of reason that is absolutely priceless. You know, I may come home, and be sounding off about a client that is being completely irrational. And I want to respond in some typical Doug, sarcastic, cynical way. Yeah. Fire off a sweet email. Fire off this email. She goes, you know what? Just don't respond. Just ignore him. Just never, just he's dead to you. And other things of maybe where I have the blinders on where I'm focused on the goal for the business. And she goes, Hey, you're, you're railroading your employees. You're not, seeing their value or not making them feel valued you need to do something or to make sure they know that you care about them. So she's been invaluable in that way to give me a different perspective, to see things that I can't see.
1: Which is just a great juxtaposition, male, female, husband, wife. Yeah. And how the two come together. And just make a beautiful one. Yeah, you know, in 2015, I had asked you about starting switch cars mm-hmm. and how a 20-year-old didn't have business classes and, but you had that passion. You had that entrepreneurial spirit. You had the passion for and knowledge of cars, um, and you had said that you know you kind of did the learning the business side of things, trial and error, and just doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you learned more about being a businessman or did you simply in the last six years, you, you kind of were there and you just simply tweaked what you already knew or, or sure. as a businessman, have you learned so much more?
0: I think the first 10 years were the majority of the learning. Now, I people are going to get up in arms because yes, you never stop learning. Okay. I, I never want to be at a point where I think I know it all. Now, granted, people pay me lots of money to do consulting now. So I do know something, but we're all in, in different stages. But I think the thing I've learned the most is how to deal with people. Because in 2015, I had one subcontractor, detailer and an intern. And I have six full-time employees and a couple subcontractors now. So that is a whole new ball game for me. That's something else to, to deal with. But as the business side
1: of things grows, um, you're essentially, you know, just you've you've tweaked what you've what you learned those first ten years sure. and yeah. Yeah,
0: building upon the foundation. Yeah. I'm not learning big lessons anymore. Right. I'm yeah, learning I guess, small yeah, things le- yeah. each and every day. I I don't really want to learn any more big lessons because usually they come with zeros on the end. <laughs> <laughs> As Dave Ramsey says, I've done stupid with zeros at the end. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm.
1: You were connected to a racetrack. You had said that, um, and I think you said this four or five times that you you got stars in your eyes, and that's why you did that move. Yeah, and but you but you you said like five times it, it's a it's it was a plan. That would be successful. It should be. It's. A, it was a great idea. I think mm-hmm. it, would, it was a great idea. Yeah. Would, would is it still a great idea? Would you like to have a racetrack with switch cars? Yeah, uh, I'd love to have a
0: racetrack as Absolutely. a bus- as a business model. Yeah, and I I think long term, the private motorsports country clubs, the private tracks, are going to become more and more valuable. Mm. Maybe not in the next five years, but in the next 30 or 40 years as internal combustion cars become evil, taxed out of existence, non-street legal, whatever happens, people are going to migrate to places where they can actually still use what will then become just rolling pieces of art, essentially, Uh, if, if we end up going that direction, which I think I think in the long term we will, unfortunately. So, yeah, I'd love to live on a racetrack, to work on a racetrack, something like that where I can play all the time. Um, I don't have that in the cards necessarily. I know Nelson Ledges is, which is a local racetrack, is improving their facilities and has some big plans. And, you know, we'll kind of keep our eye on them. We know the owners and so we'll keep a conversation open and see if there's some synergy there down the road maybe or maybe I'll just buy a house near there and (laughs) build a big garage you know Um, so maybe it becomes more of a hobby but there there are some things kind of noodling around in the brain I mean I, I always have 10 business ideas and business plans you know in the file that I'm modifying and thinking about and one of them is some sort of a Social club surrounding cars and car storage, and we built up the car storage business. Uh, you know, that was something that we were just starting at the time.
1: And you said you wanted to expand it, right? Yeah. And we did, so yeah. that
0: was part of the, the purchase of this building. We went from a 4,000 square feet facility to an 18,000 square foot facility, and we're full again and bursting at the seams. So, that's a consideration. I don't know what it looks like. I've been kicking around a bunch of different things, but um, probably one of the most valuable lessons I've learned, again, to quote Dave Ramsey, is that what you focus on is what you win at. And so I've been trying to focus on this rather than saying, okay, I'm gonna do this, this, and this, and be this big entrepreneur with all these you know, uh, pans in the fire, whatever the term is. Mm-hmm. So, I've been trying to focus on this, and the podcast itself was something that I wanted to take on, and that was like the extent of the the time and brain power I had to say, "Okay, well, I can also focus on this, but I need to make a deliberate effort so anything else that's a cool idea is just it's gonna stay on the shelf, and I'll think about it and consider it until which time I can focus on that completely and the storage idea if I remember the way you said it
1: was it, it would be a self sufficient kind of or a self sustaining yes um which sounds like it it wouldn't take much energy right and i mean if you're if you're busting at the seams here, it seems like yeah it'd be a good time to find another location not find another location but additional additional space
0: yeah I, I think again that's probably in the five year plan it's not immediate Mm -hmm. i've thought about building here building costs are astronomical i just don't see the value i don't really want to move it's emotionally draining and expensive so i'm content with where we are now and just focused on refining what we're doing refining the storage business to make it more profitable with what we have Mm -hmm refining the dealership working you know we just uh we just hired a full-time tech that was something we've been wanting to do for a long time so figuring out that end of the business so we've got a lot of moving parts already and a lot of opportunity for growth in this current facility
1: and the business the business model itself still is sourcing brokering high-end exotic cars
0: yeah interesting so we've changed that a little bit We do source, broker, consign, sell high-end cars. I mean, we're in a showroom with a Ford GT, a Ferrari, and a Porsche GT3. So, yeah. And I've built a good base of clients that trust me for that. But in terms of our actual inventory and what we're buying and selling, I I always knew that the high-end car business is not the way to make a bunch of money the Mm -hmm. the old saying is how do you make a bunch of money in the exotic car business or how do you make a small fortune in the exotic car business you (laughs) start start with with a a large fortune (laughs) and that's how most people get into it yeah they have a phd i.e papa had a dealer or they have investors (laughs) or a, a big bank or something like that and i don't and never did but i ran the numbers on cars, the the threshold was 40K and the percentage return on above 40K versus below 40K. And it proved to me what I already knew was that the ROI on the cheaper cars was far better. There's less risk. And so when Daniel and Thomas came on board to help grow that side of the business, I said, here's the numbers. This is our plan. And they were kind of already experts in that already because they were doing BMW M3s and things like that. So we're trying to buy and sell and stock more sub $50,000 sports cars and now service them as well and make that the focus of what we're buying and selling in stock and then doing more brokering and consigning of the high-end stuff to reduce our risk and our holding costs.
1: One of the things you had mentioned um Back in 2015, was that you had started with Land Rovers? Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, it was just brilliant. Um, and you said you just kind of stumbled into it. it. Was the market at the time? You went and went into high high demand areas, California, and would source from low demand areas, with the Land Rovers. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, it, to me. And uh, again, I'm not in the industry, but to me, that seems like that that model would work with most any car, would
0: it? Yeah, uh, arbitrage. <laughs> the manufacturers have fixed that leak in the system. Mm-hmm. I was basically just exploiting something that was broken. Yeah, So it's not as easy anymore. So there are definitely other opportunities for arbitrage, but it's not quite that easy. Our model now is really just to find good cars, to service them, to add value to them by making them better, or sometimes even because you know the, the person doesn't know how to market their car. Sometimes that is the arbitrage in and of itself, yeah. is maybe not geographically or regionally marking it differently, but somebody may put it on Facebook with three terrible photos and they have no idea how to put the value into it. And we go look at it and buy it and say, okay, this is a good car. We're going to service it. We're going to document all the service records. We're going to show that it's original paint and put all this value out there. That's already there. They just didn't present it properly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the last things I know you had mentioned back then was when I asked you about as an entrepreneur was there's always ideas percolating and, you know, you always have five, 10, 15 Mm -hmm. ideas one of them was you had, you had noticed in the transportation, because you had dealt with it, in, in transporting cars, um, that there was a, a, a huge problem mm-hmm. and, a, and a big glitch in the system, and you saw a way to exploit that. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to do that? Do you foresee? Hmm. Is that within the next five years? Good
0: question. Um, right after that, I came very close to jumping in with both feet to do that and i knew in order to do it i would essentially have to give up the car business and focus on mm. that a hundred percent and i had talked to some vcs who i knew and they were super interested in the idea i was treading carefully though because again i don't like dealing with adventure in mm-hmm. ventures adventures i don't like dealing with <laughs> investors mm-hmm. and i know how vcs work and that just wasn't the way I wanted to go about it and they essentially wanted me to make up how much profit we were doing already in order to sell the value. You know, they were going to assign a value on the books and I just said, I'm not willing to do that. Like this is a good business model. I want to start it, but I'm not going to, to compromise my integrity to get back to what
1: we talked about yeah
0: and it's not a build and flip thing nor do i want it to be i want this to be a legacy business and i did talk to another company who was in the technology side of things about maybe partnering with them and it just kind of like fizzled out there wasn't a clear path forward and given that the car business was successful already Mm -hmm. i didn't want to just abandon that absolutely to start this other thing I think if I had nothing to do I would have done it but I just said you know what I think I have to just give this one up and it was it was a good time because I had been working on that business model for 10 years and it was good to just say you know what I mean I stop dreaming about this stop talking about it like I either got to crap or get off the pot yeah and I got off the pot and just said you know what it's gonna happen eventually it still hasn't though that's the funny thing like there's there's still no good solution the transport industry has gotten even worse that was my next question so, is, is are the same problems oh still yeah. there yeah it's terrible
1: and and the solution you had is still viable yeah yeah sure okay it's, it's difficult but yeah still viable all right yeah and don't, one tempt, one the, me. <laughs> don't tempt me <laughs> yeah no i know um one of the last questions i think i asked last time and i'll ask again now um you you're, you know you're surrounded by all these beautiful cars um back then you were dry and I'm probably gonna pronounce this incorrectly, but a Lingenfelter? Yeah. Lingenfelter Corvette. corvette. That's, Gretchen. That's what you were driving then. Yeah. Still. What, what still. Yeah. Is that, that your everyday Oh yeah. I okay. love that car. You absolutely love yes. that
0: car. My corvette is best corvette. <laughs> um <laughs> I I always tell people, like, you, you know, the the joke is everything's always for sale. And I'm like, no, that one really isn't. Um if somebody offered me a hundred grand for it, the car is worth about 20. Mm-hmm. If somebody offered me a hundred grand. I would think about it. I would literally have to think about it. You love it the car because I go, what else would I buy for a hundred? That gives me more enjoyment than that. Um, and, and I always tell people, I said, if that car is ever for sale, please offer me a place to live because it's likely that things are that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Um,
1: well, that's all I have, Doug. This this was it was a wonderful chance to to revisit this.
0: Well, thanks, Doug. It it uh, it was good traveling down memory lane and kind of taking stock of where I've come. It was scary to start watching it because I'm like, oh crap, I'm gonna talk about my five year goals and mm-hmm. I might be way off base. And it was really interesting to see how without kind of revisiting those goals or or seeing how I was tracking to just look back at the five year mark and go, oh okay, like most of that worked. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess
1: one other additional question would be, where would you like to be
0: five years from now? Oh man, retired (laughs) (laughs) in, in all seriousness, the, the goal and the direction I'm trying to go now is to have control of my own time so that I can be free to explore entrepreneurial ideas So part of the transition we're working on now within Switch Cars and and taking on these new guys is kind of a a succession plan, I guess I'd say. You did say you wanted this to be a legacy business. yeah. So that I can be involved but not tied to it. Um, And then I can wake up every morning instead of saying, I have to be at work at nine because I got this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. I can say, what am I going to do today? And of course, I'm sure, you know, that will then transition into something new that will require my time again. Sure. I'd I'd like to be in control of my time to own my time and say, and just be free to explore ideas. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, this, this was great. I, you know, I, I
1: love, I love coming here. I love seeing the cars. I love seeing the business grow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and just watching actually, actually the podcast I've watched every episode. it's, (laughs) it's really cool. Um I I hope this continues uh, continues
0: on. Thank you for awesome. having me. Thank you guys for watching and taking this journey uh, down the, the history of Switch Cars with me. Hopefully, it's helpful to you as well in your business and life journeys. And I want to thank Doug Huffnagel for, I guess, being my host tonight. I'm the co host or the guest. And we want to thank our sponsors Boxcast, Celebrity Machines, Switch Cars, GT Vault, and our producer and sometimes call screener, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their whole album on Spotify or SoundCloud. And this episode will be available on Friday, wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a live show and a new special guest taking your calls and questions so that we can help you on the drive of your life.